The following podcast will contain graphic, disgusting, crass, foul, mature, and immature content. gentlemen i wanted to take some time and go back through another summary because here we are at episode 61 or at least this will be released as episode 61 can we wait till episode 69 nice nice you want to also do an episode 69 recap should we record (laughs) something special for episode 69 i think we should Mm -hmm. you should definitely label it the nicest episode Well, it'll be our sexiest episode. Welcome to VGAT After Hours. So, rolling back in the Wayback Machine for VGAT, go all the way back to episode 42. That one actually started off, if you guys will remember, fuck, I don't actually even remember the name of the town, I forgot to write it down, the town where um, Grace's grandmother was, Alice Asari? Aziz Ansari? Aziz Ansari, yeah, we made a lot of jokes about that being Aziz Ansari. Easy pickings. Melvin was out in the back looking through the uh, the saddlebags from Team Excellence that you met in the bar. You had taken the three potions of water breathing. Uh, you spent a bunch of time discussing D&D uppers. Uh, and then eventually you, you did go to bed. You went and met Grace's grandma the next morning. She had told you guys uh, that they came from a long line of purple-haired, purple-eyed druids and shapeshifters, and that's why Grace could shapeshift. And then she guided you to that, that meditation pool. I kind of want to like, get your guys' thoughts on that. Like, the whole Grace having a grandma thing. Like, we haven't focused too heavily on family or anything like that in, in our uh, adventures so far. And it was kind of like, all right, we met you. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts around that or anything in that area? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know she's there. Like, Mm-hmm. If we're in the area and need something. Like it's purely transactional. Mm-hmm. It's also been a little weird, like, not knowing for sure if she's Roscoe's daughter or not. Mm-hmm. That doesn't weird me out. I mean, I don't think it affects how you treat her, but I think it maybe affects how much we care about her extended family or how much we think they're a part of our tribe. We apparently thought she was safe enough to leave Grace with her on other adventures, so... I mean, the, the feelings are there where we have the, the mutual respect of each other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I'm her real father, that for really her grandma. She's got family. That's cool for her. No skin off my ass. True enough. <laughs> so you guys went 
to that meditation pool, and Grace's grandma actually guided you out there, and you guys struggled to sink, if you remember. You eventually oh, yeah. got to the bottom. I, I didn't... I couldn't realize how water and weight worked. <laughs> <laughs> what if I give uh, Melvin this? You're still the same weight. <laughs> that was a fun one. Yeah. What falls faster? A feather or a pebble? At the bottom of the well, you found Hans and the rest of uh, the Team Excellence folks down there. And uh, I mentioned Hans specifically because we killed him so many times. Uh, he died pretty horrifically, viciously, violently. Um, yeah, and then eventually he got like blown apart almost entirely. Did we save him after that? I think we saved mm -hmm. him after that. Still. Saved him a few times, maybe only once. But yeah, yep, we brought him back after that. Yeah, because he got he was he got electrocuted right away. Mm -hmm. Brought him back after that. He was butt ass naked, and then mm -hmm. so we lent him a pair of undies. And then he ate from the buffet. And then, yeah, we were, we were kind of merciful in, in our ruling yeah. on that one. that you, well, guys yeah. were, you were able to sweep up all the dust and mm -hmm. then revivify him from that. Uh, and then you guys, you guys um, inherited Jeff Dude. Oh, it was, it was actually Rickard was the one at the end that you guys mm -hmm. convinced to eat from the bowl. Uh, <laughs> Colvick had cast Gash on him. Told him to eat from the chillest bowl, and uh, and Melvin, that was actually that was one of the more like interesting little tensiony sort of things that happened is Kolvik going with what I think you thought the group was going for, mm -hmm. like, put the gash on him to make him eat from a bowl, and then Melvin uh, backed out at the last minute and cast sleep on him. That was a the fun little uh, you know turn of events there, just a little bit a little bit of a conflict some. Uh, Friends became enemies, enemies become friends. Uh... It's one of the long lines of scenarios where I see a situation playing out, like gasoline on a clown, or somebody trying to say, convinced to find the right bowl, and I'm trying to go along with the party, but we, apparently we have to stop somewhere, and I just don't know that point at this, at this time. And I think I'm just offended because Kolvik is supposed to be the always high-roading us with his morals you know at the same time he's setting clowns on fire and shit mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll continue what, what on I, with that oh we will yep. hypocrite I... <laughs> <laughs> no I mean later on in our recap it kind of changes kind of flips scenario so I'm curious what Roscoe thinks about the moral quandary and conundrum that happens between Melvin and Colvick is it just kind of like water off a duck's back to you or yeah yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got nothing. Yep. Um, so yeah, you guys said uh, so the sort of summary of that, you guys went down, you found the Grace's grandmother, you found, um, you, you satisfied the legend of Jason Bryce. And uh, went through that storyline and picked up, uh, I think as Roscoe put it, another stray in Jeff Dude. Brought him on back. Team Excellence kind of went their own way after that. Uh, and then as you were traveling back, you, uh, you picked up yet another stray. Walking through the, uh, the woods along, or rather, walking along the woods, you heard some noises coming from there. And there was a chimera, which we spent an extensive amount of time pronouncing. 
and it was attacking a family of wolves. One of those little wolf cubs survived and became starfish, hot dog flavored water, the wolf, who's, you know, I think earned a place in all of our hearts as a mostly remembered tertiary character. I'm excited for Starfish to become integral into the plot of some sort or how to do certain deeds and help us out. That's going to be cool. Dirty I mean, if, if it goes that way, I don't know. Well, Starfish now, we're at the point now where Starfish is like a mature enough animal. I think the last time we really talked about Starfish's age, it was right around that five or six months old where they're being fully weaned from their mother, which in this case is Melvin. And uh, what a grandmother he is. Sweet old grandmother. So that gets us back to you guys arriving in town. And oh, wait, and I'm sorry, how could I have glossed over the amazing way that that Chimera battle ended? Anybody remember the Chimera? Oh, yeah. The ultimate end of that? We spawned a water elemental in its butthole. (laughs) Yes. As one does. That was pretty priceless. That was uh, one of the more bizarre situations as a DM to. you know, to try and figure out. When you got back to the homestead, you found that there was a letter from Waktog, who was, who is, Polvik's brother that was traveling with the orcs and decided to go help out those orcs because they were being, you know, raided and pillaged by the fearsome war clowns of the north. Kolvik, what, what emotional landscape did that inspire for you? Well... Honestly, first I was so excited to hear from my brother. One of many that I'm not sure what was going on, but here he is, Mm. doing the caravan life, the peaceful living, which was pretty good to find out about. And um, I was excited to get in touch with him, because I know we had some other tasks on hand, but I was glad the crew came along and said that was a priority for what we were looking for. That was really nice of you guys. Yeah, everybody, uh, everybody joined in to help out. Kolvik's family. Mm-hmm. Fucking war clowns. I know. And don't forget what Roscoe did. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. We're coming to that. Oh, it's Fucking always, do it again. It's always what somebody <laughs> else does. Never what Melvin does, but... Yeah, that's true. So, you guys, uh, let's, before we jump too far ahead, uh, the one brief thing to touch on was as you guys were in the small and otherwise uh, pointless town of Akron, you... Heard the giggling old man talking about the Clam Slam. That was where we, uh, we first heard reference to that. So, to step back to the Reddit post from 10 Speed of God's Blood. said, I was wondering about the time when the team kidnapped Lum after the super amazing adv- adventure friends. Nick mentioned that he thought it was going to go in a completely different direction. How did Nick think the situation was going to go? Have there been other times when the team surprised him or he had other solutions in mind? Uh, so I kind of answered this in an episode, that question specifically, but in general, I wanted to come back to it again. Um, and this is one of those examples where, yep, the old dude was totally supposed to sneak off to the bathroom and disappear and leave you with this mysterious impression of like, oh, we should go check out the Clam Slam. It's so mysterious. And then Melvin was like, well, I'm going to go look in the bathroom and see if he's there. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of had to wing that one and like make it sound like, no, I wasn't doing the totally predictable storyline option. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you guys do tend to like, at least on a minor scale, fuck up every adventure that I do. <laughs> I shouldn't say fuck up. You at make it more interesting by derailing it from the uh, very predictable storylines that I often come up with. 
That's a nice doing this collaborative storytelling thing because it makes the stories a lot more interesting than I could come up with on my own. So eventually you guys caught up with the Free Raven Company, the orcs and Colvick's brother out there. Followed them around for a little bit and, uh, and there was a fairly immediate clown attack, war clown attack from the mountains. I, I just got to get general impressions from you guys. What did you think of the whole war clowns thing? Enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Although it's, I don't know, towards the, it got real weird at the end and I just don't know. It, it's one of those things because we don't understand the war clowns. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these other characters, you know, we have a pretty straightforward understanding of who they are, what their motivations are and how we aim to deal with them. Like, but these war clowns just, uh, especially at the end there where they just were not responding to us, kill their children or they weren't talking to us and they didn't communicate made for a really weird interaction and we may never know it actually still bothers me that we still don't understand what the fuck was going through their brains Mm -hmm. yeah that's a it it was a weird one to play out from my perspective and i don't want to say too much about it because i will spoil the fact that there is more to come on that um but the i don't know that's like that's an interesting thing to me is like cultural dynamics when people like when people don't speak a common language, when like any translation or whatever is kind of forced in between, when you don't understand somebody's culture, like the way people interact with each other, it's fucking hard and it's weird and it's all kinds of other things. So that was like, I don't know, maybe I pushed on it a little too hard and maybe it made some of the dialogue a little more awkward than it could have been. But um, I just remember at one point, you're going to do this. This is going to happen. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's mm-hmm. another thing too, man. I mean, we've talked a lot about the, or, well, maybe not in the podcast, but we've talked about like the struggle of like what's good, what's evil, how do you define we, all those other things. Like, you know, those are living sentient beings, and they're fucking with living sentient beings that we know and love and enjoy, and we don't know these other people. So fuck those other people. Eh, like, no matter how much you frame that in one way or the other, it's still hard to be the person doing it. And I don't know. Like I said, maybe I forced that all too hard, but. And, and doing what, I guess, is the, the thing, right? Which is where Roscoe shot a child. A war clown child. Yep. That did happen. And apparently would do it again in a heartbeat. And not people. I, I mean, that's interesting of itself, right? You didn't see, you didn't see them as people. Why would I? Do you see them as people? They are... I wouldn't say they're animals, though. It's kind of it's like... It's kind of like what people use to justify, like, maybe being, I don't know, vegan or something like that, right? It's like the ability for that that thing to feel suffering. You want me to empathize with the war clowns? No. Actually, no, I'm not saying that I want you to do anything, but I'm just saying that it's interesting on how you perceive them, not as people. I don't think you perceive them as animals, but definitely not worthy of, you know, humane tre- humane treatment. Do they treat their people they raid with any compassion or humanity? I guess not that we saw. They seem to treat each other with some kind of, you know, humanity, I guess, in a way. There was some kind of a code there. Non-decipherable from an outsider's perspective, but there was something there. That's what I did love about the War Clowns, though. There's always some development that pops up out of nowhere, like... First, they we couldn't speak to him, and then they made really giggle sounds for talking, and then giggle, giggle, honka, honka, giggle, honka, just honking noises and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I I should say it's interesting 
that you made that decision with the lack of knowledge that you had. So, and we didn't really know anything about these people. We didn't know if they were smart, dumb, savage. I mean, I guess we knew that they were savage to an extent, but we didn't know how far it went. And yet you're still willing to just slaughter their children. Savage is kind of loaded. They're just war clowns being war clowns. <laughs> you don't fault the lion for being a lion. And then neither at the same time are you going to go pet one. I don't know if lions exist in this world. You don't fault a dragon for being a dragon. <laughs> Dragon's going to drag. Fair enough. You need, a, you need a dragon and drag. A drag dragon. Dragon and dra- drag dragon. Oh, we have man. full slang. Yeah. Very good adventuring team. <laughs> so I thought, I, I personally thought that one of the things that we have done pretty well is like the improvisation of like new shit and the war clowns thing in general. Like I, the storyline, the general storyline, the overarching arc or whatever you want to call it, the world sequence. I mean, I had most of that down in my head like nine months before we started playing. And I had like a series of destinations I wanted us to get to and like things that we still want to get to. And then at one point we were like, what if there were fucking war clowns? And then we just did that. Like we derailed on that. Like you guys came up with all these awesome ideas for what it would mean to be war clowns and we just made a fucking adventure there. And I I thought that was awesome. And I think personally, I think that's one of the best things about D&D and about the whole collaborative storytelling thing is like you can do shit like that it's fucking fun as hell I also realized that there was no part of that that was a question it was just <laughs> fucking pontificating again <laughs> soapbox back under the table and resume summary we went through that whole scene and, and what happened uh, to actually summarize rather than just talk about it is you guys tracked down you fended off the war clowns, you saved one of them, had that one lead you back to their tribe. Once at their tribe, they the, the one that you had captured walked back into the, the tribe and just sort of got everybody's attention to the fact that you guys were there. And then they just stood there, no matter what you did, up to and including burning everything they owned and shooting one of the children, didn't get any kind of a reaction from them. They just stood there, inexplicably stood there. And yeah, like that that was kind of a big dramatic scene. And then you walked back. You got a grateful reaction from the the Free Raven Company and the elder that gave you guys the what has turned out to be and I think largely because of the name of the episode, one of our more popular episodes, The Wiener Glue and a Magic Boat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we could go back just for a second. Yeah. Uh one of these thoughts that I had is that this is going to come back to haunt us where I feel like anything that we either don't make peaceful friendship with or that we don't completely annihilate, like is going to come back and haunt us in some fashion or another. So I think you've alluded to it several times. We haven't seen the last of these work haunts. And I think we're going to come to regret not wiping those things, people, tribe off the face of the, the land and in well it goes back to we don't know how they interact with other tribes maybe the other war tribes will find them weak and kill them for us and or what we just just don't know we don't either way next time we see them we'll be the last we hear of them (laughs) wait fast forward 50 years and like one of them moves into the house next to you (laughs) hey neighbor (gasps) wait (laughs) 
<laughs> just a, a work on neighbor and like <laughs> honka honka. He does the angry monkey thing. He's <laughs> always pointing at you over the fucking edges. Or like you don't recognize that it's them and they just like they're slowly borrowing all of your tools and never bringing them back. <laughs> or they're, they're really super nice and like, they invite us over for barbecue. <laughs> and all the time we can't stop thinking about the work on children that we slayed. Awkward. Awkward. So you guys, uh, you guys knew each other before uh, you moved into the same neighborhood, huh? Yeah, I killed uh, his brother. <laughs> yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on uh, on war clowns and and all that that implied? No, I just feel that this was a defining moment for me in how I viewed. It doesn't matter who, how I helped people in the future after this event because mm-hmm. it was a child I didn't save the one and only i mean i pretty much saved everyone else good or bad and this child i just kind of left behind i think this interacts with a lot of future events that unfolds mm-hmm. i would say so i would concur would do you, you guys say, concur would you say you feel traumatized by the whole event i think i would say i feel traumatized by this whole event would you say roscoe traumatized you no 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 it was my own i even said i just i even remember saying that i don't blame roscoe for what he did that was his own decision and he thought what he was doing right. It was my own choice not to help the child. And we drank over it. We did. Oh, we did. <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to get that song reference from that episode, but I thought that was amazing. Yeah, that was a perfect, perfect addition. It's one of those things that like accurately described the feeling that was going to ensue mm. after <laughs> a night of drinking. But wait, wait. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, because I think... The other segment that came in between, which again was just another random event, like, you know, unplanned from the start of the story, I guess, was you guys making your way to the Clam Slam. Um, and then the, the Clam Slam itself, I thought, was was super fun. I'm going to say for as fun as the adventure was, and I had a really fun time DMing it and coming up with it, but I think the best thing to come out of that entire sequence was fucking the Clam Slam song. The Mortal Clambat song. That was just priceless. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about that. And like, I, I don't know. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, that was, that was really fun to make. Just encompassing the whole field. Because when you said like what we were basing it off of, you can just totally just picture what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Mortal Clambat. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, so the thing that happened. Let me run through the events of the of the Mortal Clambat event, the Clam Slam, and our big shout out there goes to uh, goes out to Kevin for coming up with the name Clam Slam. And Kevin, you know who you are. Um, so you guys went to the valley and found the village of Karmuga. You got to spend a peaceful evening in the hut, waiting for the following day. Kolvik, you had a nice training montage with the little old lady. In mm-hmm. the village and got proficiency in clam slamming in pogs. And I fucking learned that I could have been adding my proficiency to all my pogs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I never caught that. Like, I, I mean, between the two of us, one of us should have seen that that was what was happening the entire time and neither of us caught it. I don't think that was the only problem, but sure would have fucking helped. Yeah, you, there was at least one or two dice rolls that I think you would have won. Because it always came down to like one and one, and then you lose the last one or lose in the last throw. So, yeah. Um, so you guys got to the clam slam, and then there was uh, there was the day of the tournament itself. 
Uh, and the day of the tournament saw the first time that we actively split you guys up, um, which that was kind of fun to, to try out anyway. Uh, actually, that the episode in which it happens is also one of our most popular episodes for download, but... So, Kolvik and Melvin, you two went over to the Clam Slam itself, and Roscoe went down the path of the afterlife. Uh, we saw the events of the tournament roll out, and we saw Kolvik get the shit kicked out of him by a troll, and then... God, how did you phrase it? You got mind-fucked by a ghost? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. It's did awesome. You, did you enjoy it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. You get to see a vision of the past and a vision of, we'll just say, maybe a potential future or several potential futures. And uh, you get to see Lexi in the, in the hereafter. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back at the Clam Slam, you guys get to see Panko win his way to the top of the tournament bracket and then get ripped in half by Prince Dolo. I'm very glad, by the way, you didn't let me bet my only pog that I had just based on I was thinking the outcome was going to be different. <laughs> I'm like, I'll bet my only slammer. And then you wouldn't have even been able to participate in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going back to Roscoe, though, it's more like meta, what we hear on the table, what he hasn't told us, though, but that spirit, I just remember at one point saying, I wasn't expecting you to see you this early, Roscoe. Meaning, expecting to see him later, who's that? kind of thing. So, just by hearing it, I thought that was really cool. Secret. Also, I have to remember I have Panko's face in my inventory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, right. That we have to figure out something to do with. I was just looking at that, too. I have a Chimera head I need to do something with. There you go. Yeah, you guys have collected a lot of random crap. But you have weird things in your inventory. Weird body parts of things. Yeah, Roscoe, you probably don't have too much weird in your inventory. I mean, you had the whole dragon anus, but you made that into a belt. That was a long time ago. Still the finest damn belt in the land. Nothing is stronger than dragon anus. Oops, dragon turds. What's the line from Jurassic Park? That's one big pile of shit. <laughs> Uh, and then, so you guys eventually challenged, uh, Prince Dolo to a four-way Pogs match, uh, in which you won. Oh, and I forgot to mention the, uh, one of the craziest parts about it is you guys realized over time there that these people came from all over time, and one of the people that showed up there was a younger version of Sabin. What'd you guys think of that? It was fun trying to beat around the bush to see who this guy was. I think we all had an inkling of what was, like, who it was, and then he finally came out. But then that back and forth and like, wait, where are we? What time zone is everyone is? What's going on here? And I remember I wasn't really cognitive to the whole story just because I was playing Colvic, but mm -hmm. it, was, it was pretty fun. I guess I'm still waiting to figure out if there's a reason why he was so nice back when he was younger, but now he's kind of an asshole in our time. Yeah, I suppose I didn't really give too good of an explanation of that in the, uh, in the moment. Well, when you guys went down and, like, questioned him about it, you were all wasted <laughs> from all the, the drinking after Colvick's uh, bad dreams and everything. Sabin! Sabin, why you used to be cool! <laughs> <laughs> what happened? That got thrown around quite a bit. Uh, so then you guys ended up finishing out the, the whole Clam Slam story arc with um, winning that. The Colvick became Sir Colvick. And Melvin won himself a soul-bound pearl slammer that can be used as a ranged weapon and has a sweet, sweet bonus to it. I got a pearl slammer. 
<laughs> the pearl necklace slammer. Mushroom stamper. Is it a tramp stamper? No. Oh. Pearl mushroom stamper. Got a tramp stamper. Got a tramp stamper. <laughs> Just someone who slams their ass right on the table. I'd know those runes anywhere. <laughs> so, what'd you guys think of the? Uh, I mean, we've kind of talked through some piece of it already, but. But, you know, since it's always short and sweet, Roscoe, what did you think of the uh, the whole event of the, the Clam Slam and all that that entailed? It was fun. It didn't hold a lot for me. Like, I wasn't involved with the Clam Slamming, per se. I think I might have won a bet, lost a bet. It was enjoyable. Yeah? To see my comrades perform. What did you think of the other side of it, your side of it? What did I do? That was the whole path of the afterlife thing. The... Oh, yeah. Christ, my memory is terrible. <laughs> I genuinely can't remember. Uh, it was like you went up the mountain path, got fucked up by the troll, oh, yeah. the ghost that showed you all those visions of everybody dying, and then you got to see Lexi. Yeah. Uh, that was cool, but not too sentimental. What am I going to do with a dead person? Say hello. And you did. I was about that. <laughs> God awful in these recaps. <laughs> Not much of an interview, man. <laughs> so we went back. Kolvik had told you guys, uh, Melvin really specifically, it seemed like, about the bad dreams. Melvin got drunk for the first time in a long time. We, I guess I don't know how much we've talked about it in the episodes. I can't really recall, but I know that we've implied that Melvin has a we'll say not positive history with alcohol and has not drank in a very very long time and decided to get drunk with uh, with Kolvik and they kind of they got toe up went down to the broken egg and harassed Saban a little <laughs> bit and, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of had had a fun all time down there I thought that was a pretty fun little I like how Roscoe just joined and he's like what are we doing guys Oh, getting trashed? All right, let's do it. Here we go. Here we go. That's good. Yeah, I just want... How bad was your headache the next day? I mean, did you feel anything at all? Did? Oh, I was hung balls next oh. day. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's kind of like anytime you don't do something for a long time, but you remember the way you used to do it. I can imagine just going to fucking town. Yeah. Just, and then there you are. I think I remember morning. Perkins. Was it Perkins at this point who had to clean up the mess? Yeah, well, it was Perkins and Jeff Dude was already living there, so that was between those two. Yeah, we discussed also that Jeff Dude was uh, the cook and the greeter, and I think a janitor was sort of implied. And a <laughs> geologist. Yeah, he's really good at geology, but doesn't know how to pronounce any of the names. <laughs> and uh, makes you guys a lot of best friend bracelets. Hooray! Yay! Who doesn't like friends? <laughs> Fools, that's who his name is. Friend. <laughs> Ignamius Rock. That was pretty good. <laughs> uh, Ignamius, man. Uh, so this gets us, by the way, up to episode 51. I should have been kind of tracking that as we went through. And uh, and then it was time for the Harvest Festival. I found... I, I wish I could remember, because I'll be honest, I was so stinking tired and probably a little drunk when I was searching for carnival games, and I'd I can't tell you which ones that I made up and which ones I found on the internet. I know that the Dwarven drinking game one came from somewhere on the internet. I think that was a Reddit one, and I I wanted to write down the name afterwards, but I couldn't find it uh, to give him credit in the episode. Um, 
God, some of the other ones. I mean, the archery contest, that was just a basic... I think I came up with that one, but... Yeah, scoured the internet trying to find carnival games for you guys. And toss the kid was one of my favorite. The kid toss, that the one was toss. me. That I felt I was fucking... I think that was the last one I came up with, and I was like, fucking kid toss, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Out of which came one of the better lines of, you just threw that kid in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was probably one of the more, like, fun sort of things that we did. We had the, the carnival games. Uh, I kind of wanted to, you know, break things up and have a little bit of levity. Did you guys Did you guys enjoy the carnival games? Yeah, that was pretty fun. Did yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really, like, ominous no answer from Melvin, like, oh, well, all right, no carnival games I mean, for you for the future. I got Larduna out of that. Yeah, you got Larduna you out of that. the pig. <laughs> yeah, I did. The shocking grasp on the pig that's right. <laughs> you just wanted to tase him a bit, but... Yeah, that was that was pretty great. Yep, got Loduna the pig and stole the pie that I gave to that kid and gave it to Loduna. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Loduna? Oh, he's still he's just running around with me. I think we even talked about how we have Loduna, this traveling stick with me. I'm just collecting animals here and there and mm-hmm. little friends. All kinds. The strays. So moving into like episode fifty two territory, uh, we kinda get done with the contests and whatnot. And then we have probably what, what I thought was going to be one of the bigger moments in the podcast. I guess I don't know if it really stands out to other people or not, but of Aegis getting the, the whole Julius Caesar treatment in town um, and getting deposed by what was apparently his son, Marcus, uh, his orphaned son or bastard child or whatever the right term for that would be. Aegis told you guys to keep Daph safe and started going up towards the podium and he and Helen just got butchered right there in the town square. And you guys, I, I planned out, man, I, I don't know if I still have it uh, like saved anywhere, but I had this gigantic fucking flow chart of like, all right, the events start and like all the way to like, they start getting stabbed. You guys interrupt me and start attacking the guards. Like that was the first branch off of like what the main path was supposed to be. Uh, I had all these different scenarios planned out. Um, and you guys did what I thought was probably the least likely thing for the very good adventuring team is you guys ran. I'm, a, I'm really curious, like, why you guys did that. I really, really thought you were going to at least fight your way to, like, Aegis's body and get that or kill Marcus right there in the square. But I don't know if you can remember thoughts at the time, like, well, what was going on? Same and prudent. We're the very good adventuring team, not the very stupid adventuring team. <laughs> I think also it had to do, we had a lot of liabilities with this. We had Daft with us. We had Grace with We had a lot of other people to think about just than us. I mean, if it was just us, who knows? But I remember that we were thinking, okay, Aegis said, get Daft out of here. And that was kind of our core mission there. It's like, okay, we have a escort pretty much. Yeah. And I think the way that you laid it out, like the scene that was set for us is that we were like right in the middle of a lot of chaos, like sur- completely surrounded by a hostile army. Yeah. And, and we we're pretty surprised by the whole thing, I would think, you know. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I think it seemed, yeah, very prudent to regroup and try to figure out what the hell was going on before we made any rash acts and actions, I, I think. Right on. Roscoe, just a simple agree. <laughs> yeah concur move on i concur 
think we've all kind of found our roles in what we're best at here. I mean, if I remember right, Roscoe stayed behind while mm-hmm. we went ahead. So we're like, okay, we can trust our individuals. We kind of know what our skill sets are. I think that was pretty cool in that. Yeah. No, I mean, you guys, you're doing what every good team does over time as you learn your places with each other and how to, I don't know, make stuff happen most efficiently with the skills that you got. Interesting, interesting and fun to see. So you guys got to got back to the shop. You explained away what was going on and GTFO, make your way out of the town uh, with your crew and your war horses. Uh, and then you guys surprised me again. Um, I had what was effectively going to be a maximum of two combat counter encounters to get you out of town. And I, I said it at the time, but like there, I had this whole mechanic of like, cause I was thinking about guards and I was thinking about them capturing you guys and like, how would guards do that? And how would they suppress rather than attack or kill? And so I had this whole like combat mechanic where like they would hit you and it would add points of fatigue. And if you got down to a certain level of fatigue, then you'd get captured and then it didn't happen because you guys, what did you do? You did the illusion the first time um, of Marcus's voice in a different alley. That was, uh, or sorry, that was Melvin and like tricked them out of capturing or fighting with you guys. That again, I will say, and I, I guess I don't know if the, the listeners would agree or if you guys would agree, but that was out of character for the very good adventuring team. Um, you guys avoided combat. Well, I think we've tried, I, I think often we'll, you know, just go directly into combat and try the brute force method. I think we did a little bit more of stealth and guile, mm-hmm. you know, in that situation than we have in the past. But that's the thing, too, is that we have so many different tools at our disposal now. I mean, we have, you know, things that make us fly and things that can help us go back in time six seconds and make different <laughs> choices. You know, there's we have a lot of different ways to play the game than just, you know, hack and slash, so... Yeah. And I, I think it makes for more interesting story and gameplay to it. I think, <clears throat> actually, I think it makes combat more interesting, too, because I don't think, you know, it's, I, mean, I don't know, maybe I guess a lot of people like listening to us go through combat and rolling for damage and things like that. I think it's more interesting to us, for us to do different things. Yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, uh, we just had one of our more recent episodes... Um, 57 or 58 I don't recall off the top of my head that's like pure combat start to finish and I, you know I always kind of wonder how that lands like I know some people that I've talked to about it are like oh, eh, combat episode you know you just kind of ignore it and wait for the next one yeah. and we got our funny bits in between but is that the one with the blighted characters uh, like yes but yeah we'll get to that and then we'll do reactions on that one because that yeah, was yeah. an interesting play of event in general yeah we did uh we did what amounted to, or what played out to be, almost exactly end-to-end one episode of combat. And I imagine that there are some people that are like, oh, fuck, a combat episode, and they just like all but fast-forward through it. And then there's probably like another group of people that are like, that's not how that rule works! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're doing! <laughs> like, they're just getting angry through the whole episode, because we fuck up the rules so much. They need to get the <laughs> official Lewis and Kevin rule book. I was listening to this podcast and these guys don't even know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nerds. Well, it's probably the same as probably the same as like, you know, people that listen to the other political parties, you know, radio talk shows or late night TV shows or whatever, like just listening to it to get angry. And you know what? God damn it, I'm happy to provide that service for people. We will continue fucking up the rules. 
They're not going <laughs> to stop anytime soon. We're the best at fucking it up. <laughs> the very good fuck-up team. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we got you guys. Uh, you guys avoided combat twice and got out of the city. I thought that was really amazing. I, I really thought that those were... I thought that the scene in the town square, escape scene one and escape scene two, as they essentially were in my notes, I thought that all three of those were going to be combat. And you guys, I thought, very effectively worked your way around all of those things being combat. It was pretty pretty cool to see. Uh, so you guys get out to the tower, and Exute appeared. And um, she had sort of gotten word of the events afterwards and came out to check on you guys. And if you didn't notice, came largely to check in on Grace. Um, and I thought uh, Kolvik had kind of a bold move there. Kolvik kind of was lipping off to the goddess. Um, like, why didn't you know about this? Why didn't you do anything about it? All the rest. Uh, you know, what What were you... <laughs> There's no other way to put it than what were you thinking when you lipped off to a goddess? At that point, it was almost mania on my side. Like, my whole world was kind of getting shooken. I was... Did not feel safe in any means. And all of a sudden, we have this... What seemed to be a protector who's been there a step ahead of us come by. Mm-hmm. And I think I just had my my young age and angst kind of catch up with me and want to just get answers no matter what from who. What happened there? That was a bold move, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so along with that, we haven't really noticed the gods or goddesses interact with us in a negative way. And maybe I've just been feel comfortable with that. Kind of like they're not going to physically harm us. They just want to guide us in one way or another, but... Well, keep in mind that you guys really have only interacted with two of the gods and goddesses at this point, Mm -hmm. both of them having been, like, benefactors to you. True. Um, There's ten other ones that you guys really don't know shit about. But we don't know any better. Right? Well, I don't at this point don't know any better, so maybe I just need to be... Never mind, I'm not going to lead into what should happen, (laughs) because a lot of bad things can happen with gods and goddesses. Well, and I thought this uh, I thought this kind of illustrated, like the comments that you made and all the rest kind of illustrated one of the other points that, honestly, in retrospect, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm not going to say like regret by any means, the story is what it is, um, but doing sort of non-traditional gods as I've done uh, for this story is like, has been really confusing. Like they're not omnipotent, they're very limited, they're uh, even more limited in a lot of ways than like the you know, Greek and Roman sort of traditional pantheons, etc. So that's been a weird thing to deal with in the story, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, that's just more of my rambling. We'll gloss over the Lewis and Kevin thing. (laughs) (laughs) Did you leave that in? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. All of it. (laughs) It's like the first seven minutes of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. 50% 50% of us got a huge kick out of it. <laughs> so What the fuck? Were these guys huffing nitrous that night or what? We were a little loopy. Um, so you guys got back to... You get, you decided to go back to town. You appeared in Kolvik's room. And you found that the house was ransacked. You snuck downstairs, didn't find any guards. And took to the sewers after that to, to sort of safely transport through town. You decided to go to Dunk. Uh, of all people, uh, enemy of my enemy, I think, is kind of the, the thought process there, probably, anyway. Um, but you guys went to Dunk, and Dunk made you a deal to go down to the shop, and or sorry, to take the shop in exchange for showing you into Aegis's basement. Yeah, that's one thing I've noticed 
Something really good about Roscoe. He's really good about thinking outside deals. Just with like a few other people outside of what is, what do we have kind of using bargaining. That's one thing has come in handy a few times. Roscoe, our lateral thinker. I'll think of weird solutions. <laughs> so you guys got to Aegis's place. Uh, you saw there was uh, basically a dude sitting in mourning and a corpse sitting in state and started your plotting. Uh, that gets us up to about episode 56, where you guys kind of started off um, executing your plan, basically. Uh, or 55 and 56, I should say. Because uh, you guys spent a lot of time talking about, like, the the the, the strategery behind using a giant hand to shove a corpse into a live body and then get them both into a hole, a portable hole. And, uh, I thought that was another awesome plan. You guys did amazing there. And then you got... You got them both out in the hall. You pinned Marcus down. Well, uh, before that, though, that's the one thing that kind of caught me off guard. And I think at one point, like, wait, you can do that? Marcus broke out of our portable yeah, home. And that's yeah. where we're like, truly like, okay, we got the right guy. And two, oh, crap, we got the right guy. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting step. Yeah, when he popped into existence, mm-hmm. existence right next to us. Yep. We keep learning new things about the things that we have. <laughs> and I think at one point, like way back when we were talking about, you did mention that, okay, it's not invincible. You can do this. And we didn't realize the uh, space of what you can do in there. So I still don't really know logistically how that works. Like you're in the hole. How do you force your way out? Like, does it just look like a giant like pucker in the ceiling and you just squeezing your way out of it Ace Ventura style or like a butthole? Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's what came yeah, out of that. That's what we were wondering. I think that, I don't know, that's not a thing I'm going to make it the ruling on, I guess, until we have to. But uh, but yeah, that that is a mechanic of portable holes that you can, with a successful strength check, you can force your way out. So you guys got to questioning Marcus, and I, I almost felt bad about that in retrospect because we, I didn't know how I could have made it necessarily clearer that he was more or less like a... I can't even say a pawn, but just wasn't like aware of all the machinations and other things that were going on above him and his level. And you guys just kept asking him like, who's your master? Who's your leader? Who do you report to? And he's just like, fuck you. I'm doing my own thing. Like, I feel like ever since the whole Lum debacle where we left Lum at the top of the tower and we fucking forgot to search him. Like we just have this issue with like loose ends. Yeah. And we don't want to like leave any. Maybe overly so. Maybe we should care a whole lot less about loose ends. And Maybe. Well, I feel like at this point we're more... Uh, trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but... We're more aware of what's going on around us, so every little bit that we come across, we want to make sure, like you said, doesn't end in a loose end. And so he has to be something bigger. There's so much bigger out there. Why isn't this guy who just almost massacred a whole town? Mm-hmm. He needs to be something bigger. So it's more like we need him to be a lead to something bigger. Well, that's classic storytelling, right? It's always, you know, scene one, scene two, scene five, whatever in a movie is the big bad evil guy comes in and like pushes you around. And then you spend the rest of the movie working your way up to the point where you can, you know, like, what do they call it? It's bookending lieutenants or something like that is, is uh, the way I've heard it described is like the big bad guy and his top lieutenant, and then, like, usually, like, the two guys underneath that, and then, like, the rabble that's beneath that, 
And then the first thing you do is you beat the rabble and then you beat the two lieutenants and then you beat the big lieutenant and then you get to fight the big bad guy, you know, and there's like the all is lost moment and all the other, uh, and we, we just went right to the big boss, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it was like a little bit easy. I would say yeah. like we, I mean, besides him bursting out of the portable butthole. Went right past Bebop and Rocksteady. Right, exactly. Shredder. <laughs> we didn't have to go through Kang or anything. Or Krang. Was it Krang? Krang. Krang. It was like the weird Krang. rhinoceros kind of thing? No, what he the was the third was dimensional thing? brain thing that was in the, oh, yeah. in the big yeah. robot thing. In the belly of the robot. That was weird. Who fucking thought of those things? Isn't it weird like when you think about on cartoons at that age, like how weird they were? Like who came up with the, the android robot with a... Like brain. interdimensional yeah. brain in the belly, like, and, and we just we watched just, that. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Naturally, that's what that, happens. As mm-hmm. one does. <laughs> and they came up with uh, the Technodrome. That was the weird, yeah, robot sphere thing that I guess tunneled through the Earth. And well, and, I mean, and, every and, single one of those shows or comics or whatever else we read, like. Like, the, the shit that's playing out now, like, the whole Infinity War uh, Marvel storyline, like, they just fucking came up with that, you know, like, uh, I mean, Stan Lee was a part of creating a lot of the characters, but I watched a documentary about, I wish I could remember the guy's name, the guy who came up with that whole story, like, there's one guy that almost wrote that entire Infinity War plot, and it's been reworked, and the modern writers get credit for that too, etc., but, like, like, at some point, somebody was like, what if before there was the universe, there were these stones <laughs> like and they control stuff like like power and then time fuck what are the other ones wind like, <laughs> water <laughs> captain planet heart oh heart Did captain planet have a sweet mullet yeah, yeah he did kind he of did. a mohawky mullet mm-hmm. what was, was he green I would think I thought he was green yeah he was green He's our hero. Oh, no, I'm Gonna take oh, pollution yeah. down to <laughs> zero. <laughs> that was such an interesting. The 80s were such a weird time, man. I know, he looks blue, like tealish blue. Isn't it weird how, um, even back then they? I mean, they had a cartoon on the environment. Mm-hmm. I think it was a big one too because I think he they touched on the AIDS epidemic. Like you can't get AIDS by touching someone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, they right. had a huge... In Captain like, Planet? Yeah, PDA about AIDS, I think. Holy shit. Well, that, that whole show was, like, about social responsibility being, like, and, like, taught by social responsible people and all the rest of it. So, yeah, shit like that was their big part of their message. Yeah, and so, like, at this point, I think one kid might have had AIDS and, like, people are afraid of him. He's like, you, this is how it gets contracted. You can't... You can still play around him. The Super Captain Planet show you how you get AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! No! No! Oh! I was gonna make a joke about, like, but Captain Planet's got gloves on or something, oh and you just God. went way past. Uh, also, I gave him a hint of Duffman. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Planet is thrusting in the direction of the AIDS. Man <laughs> is using used needles. <laughs> you know, this is the kind of stuff that gets cut out to the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the end bits. All right. Scene. <sighs> Where 
do we leave off here? You guys got to Marcus, you got the... Killed Marcus, it was really easy, probably too easy. I stabbed him in the eye with a stick. You ripped out his eye. This is one of those moments. That, yeah, I wanted to come yeah. back to that one. Yeah, this is one of those moments where I had like clarification of, whoa, what are we really doing to these people? And you ripped out his eye, and I kind of freaked out. I'm like, whoa, we can't be torturing people. That's not what we're about. We either let him go or kill him. And I remember that was a defining point. Now you dug his eyeball out with a dirty stick. Uh-huh. That was unbelievable. And then Kolvik put it back in. Was it really that bad, guys? Come on. <laughs> I don't think it was. Yeah. Thanks, Roscoe. But maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> he was bad. Oh, wait. And I forgot one last thing that we cannot gloss over was Expecto Steve. That was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Expecto. Yeah, Expecto Steve. Is that, is that like firmly in your repertoire of spells? Like, do you have Yeah, oh, I have a few. I mean, when it comes handy, Steve will come out again. <laughs> when we need a ghostly guardian to just stand in front of it just stand there when we need an inanimate ghost to just stand there and look around <laughs> scowl <laughs> does he look around and scowl <laughs> looks around disapprovingly <laughs> oh, it kind of reminds me of the maybe eventually he crosses his arms <laughs> <laughs> no I think he's like the 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 Travolta gif if you've ever seen it from Pulp Fiction where he's just oh, like, he's looking around where he's looking around like left and right like Huh? What? Huh? What? Huh? Yeah, that guy really appreciated that shout out. So, yeah, people appreciate what we do for mm-hmm. him. That's good. Steve has been an awesome supporter of the show. So, it's true. happy to have him and happy to name Expecto Steve. Expecto Steve O. So, moving on from there, you guys had, um, you guys brought Aegis back to life. You gave him a couple of days worth of assistance to help him reestablish in the town. But then <laughs> we brought Aegis back to life. But not Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't try super hard to find her body or anything. (laughs) I did kind of like, I did kind of just shut that down. I realized after saying like, you know, they disposed of her body. Like, I didn't give you guys a lot of hope for finding that. So I can't, I can't point anything. Did you not want us to go back and go through that whole deal or? Um, So I didn't really know. I, I wanted that whole thing to make you guys think about the larger world. Um, Cause I, you know, like knowing that I've got a bigger story and there's a lot of other things that are going on. Um, I've probably, uh, I hate using this term cause it's such an overused thing in D and D and all the rest of it. But like, you know, I've kind of railroaded you guys. Like I've kind of directed you, I've shown you where to go. I've said, this is the adventure. Um, but I wanted to open it up a little bit and be like, all right, well, there's other things in the world. And like, even if you guys did find a way to restore Aegis to power of like, well, shit, you know, like, what if we don't live in this town anymore? What would we do? Where would we go? What would we want? And I don't know if you guys actually have answers to those questions yet or not. No, I think um, Melvin definitely directed us towards that. He kind of made resounding speeches like, I think we're done with this town. We need to do bigger and better things. You stated that a few times. Well, I think I picked up that a little bit from Roscoe because yeah. I think that Roscoe kind of had that mindset and then I actually kind of thought about it was like you know we don't necessarily need this sense of permanence here you know there is a big world and why be so tied down with our our comfortable setup that we have here granted it did take us many episodes to build (laughs) you know the very good adventuring team and our name and our reputation and stuff here but hey we are the adventuring team 
So, mm -hmm. let's go fucking adventure. Fucking A. Fucking A, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a weird one because the I think I've mentioned this before too, like in the in the rule book it talks about the sort of scale of adventure and like level 1 through 5 is your sort of like local heroes and then 6 through 10 you're like regional heroes and it and it builds up to there and depending on what kind of world you've got you can be you know national or global all the way up to like interplanar you know almost gods whoa can we be like captain planet you could maybe be like captain planet those are some big shoes and gloves to fill can I grow? Can I grow a mullet? I need to find some and people. condoms because Captain Planet doesn't want AIDS. Yeah, I was gonna say I gotta find some people with AIDS. <laughs> oh my God. And an Alpha AIDS. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> just terrible. one of those things will kill you. You just get one AIDS and you're done. <laughs> are you sure you don't want to go out and help those guys? Or no. are you entertained? Honestly, amused. <laughs> So we well, just we, left Andon. We're like, okay, we need to do bigger and better things. We decided yep. to go south. Yes, and Exude kind of hinted that you should go south. Um, there was some talk from Marcus about, you know, political machinations and friends and assassins and stuff like that. And before we left, though, we made friends with Aegis, looted his magical coffers. He his, didn't really, his rock collection. His rock collection, his ignamious collection and other precious important rocks and leather pieces but we have a friend there should we ever want to oh and we gave dunk our old house so mm -hmm. yeah there was some kind of confusing talk later about like perkins renting it out and all the rest of it but i think the consensus is that dunk is going to put a bar in there i actually thought we were talking about um the old uh super amazing adventure friends I thought we had at least a their place, and we were going to give them that place. We would keep ours, and that other vacant lot was there. No, no, this isn't, uh, the fuck is that movie after Perfect Dark or Pitch Black or whatever. Riddick? Riddick? Yeah, you keep what you kill. <laughs> like, you guys didn't just get their house because you killed them. They don't? <laughs> uh, pretty sure that's how that works. <laughs> so far, it's been like that. <laughs> we showed up, they weren't there. Squatter's rights. <laughs> you guys go down to the fucking city clerk's office and with like a bunch of bloody weapons, and they're like, "Well, everything seems to be in order here." <laughs> sign with the blood. Uh, they sign with the blood of your enemy. They got the big stamp. Kachunk, 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 kachunk. It's if standard could, procedure. Like oh, seven of these a day. You could just sign here and here, <laughs> and you're sure he's dead. <laughs> We typically require a corpse or a T thirty eight form. So we got no we got no property left in Andon. That's what it amounts to. Nope. And I think we we didn't actually talk about this, but um, but you guys left Grace with Perkins, and we had talked about in previous episodes way long ago that Perkins has somewhere else. He has his own house in Andon. Did we leave with our horses? Yes. Mm -hmm. You guys have your horses with you. You have horses, you have Larduna, you have Starfish the Wolf. We have people who drop dice for no reason. Not for no reason. I was playing with them. <laughs> <laughs> so there. I think, is that all of them? Because you guys, well, and you had, you eventually came to another character, which we'll come to in a moment. Um, but you guys had, uh, you'd taken, taken care of everybody else, except for Jeff Dude. Which is a good segue into the next section. Um, so you decided to leave town. Uh, oh, and you got um, Daph back to her, her dad. 
And uh, Jeff Dude had expressed some interest in being taken back to his hometown. I apparently did not phrase that very well that you guys didn't catch on that I was like, and he's asking you for help. <laughs> I'll buy him a horse. I'll yeah. give him a rug. I'll give him one gold. <laughs> Wait, so he directly asked us, okay, we'll help him. Uh, <laughs> like grudgingly accepted it. Sack up, Jeff dude. <laughs> you want help? Ask for it. So you guys took Jeff back to his hometown, found out that his family of, of cobblers was still living there, at least some some relatives and you repositioned him back in a normal life, a very smooth transition and exit for that character and, and another friend in another town, we'll say. Having hung out in the town for a little bit, you met Mayor Mike McMilk. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. That's a funny word. Uh... Yet another hilarious, I think anyway, just organic thing that happened. I don't even fucking bother naming that character because it's so unimportant. The only thing that would be more uncomfortable if his middle name was Moist or something like that. Like <laughs> Moist McBelk. <laughs> That's canon now. <laughs> gross. Oh, that's Triple so M. gross. M cubed. That's kind of a 5X, 5XM now. Anyway, so you guys went out to the farm and uh, Mayor Mike McMilk decided uh, to hire you guys for a nominal fee. You guys uh, decided to basically take this charity case, go out to this farm and see what was what. And uh, yeah, we haven't actually released episode 60 yet, so most of this should be resolved by now. Yeah, we just got done with just got done with this battle coming up. Yeah, in 59. Yep. So yep. 60, we'll see this so resolution. Tomo- yeah. Yep. Okay, so, yeah, that, so we can talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, you guys got out there. Well, Kolvik, you uh, take it away, man. You had, some, you had some stuff you wanted to say about this battle? Well, actually, no. Before that, it was awesome because we didn't know what we were doing in this farm. Seemed pretty deserted. So what was the number one thing we were going to do? Roscoe's idea? Let's plant a seed. Oh, the Why magic not? bean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Planting a seed will help. So that, uh, it was funny, because yet another one, um, Mr. Tenspeed, that asked that question, that was another one where, like, I get, I don't know why I didn't think it all the way through, but it was like, oh, this is going to be a nighttime encounter. You guys will get out there. You won't find anything right away. Of course, you'll just, like, make camp until evening. Um... And it was, like, almost going in that direction. And I don't know why, like, again, I don't know why I just assumed you guys would fucking do that, but... And then you're like, well, well, we're bored. Let's just plant a magic bean. Let's fucking (laughs) see what happens. (laughs) One of these times, the pyramid is going to happen. Our number one goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What do we have? Great. I think we've got 41 beans left, so we got a You're lot of You're going to have like an amazing adventure for us one night, and we're going to be like, no, we're planting magic beans all night. Is it just one number that brings the pyramid? No, I think it's, it's a range. range. Yeah. It's like maybe a 5% chance, maybe 8. Is it a hollow pyramid? Can we live in there? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's the new base. You guys don't have shelter. Nope. Well, let's plant all of the beans. <laughs> <laughs> we could have five pyramids. Now we have five homes. There's like 20 statues of you outside insulting <laughs> you and telling people to attack you. <laughs> That's actually my favorite one. Just brood statues. Mm-hmm. Rude AF. Um, but after that, I mean, mm-hmm. what transpired was the Shriekers came out. Yeah. Yep, and um, something the two uh, 
Melvin might have known what these things were, but we didn't. And they just started screaming. No, no, they, no they didn't. Uh, uh, I got to admit, that's a little brutal to listen to in the episode. I maybe should have cut it short, but it was so... There's somebody there. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, that, so that worked out like pretty well for me as a DM because you guys, you know, like you may or may not have actually camped there for the night, but then you did this thing that drew the attention of all these creatures. I was really, it's a shame that it happened during the day because I was really trying to get like that zombie, you know, the waves and waves and waves of zombie onslaught kind of feel to it. Uh, and it, it kind of it kind of did that, but it would have been better if it was in the dark, I think. But it, it was just one of those scenarios, like you said, it was a combat scene from beginning to end, and it might have been kind of monotonous. And but this was the first time we were been overwhelmed, kind of thing. Yeah. There was like what thirty of these guys or something. It was like 50, close to forty. Close I don't to remember 40. the exact number, but there was a lot. Yeah, it was like. 15 to 1, some of them kind of thing. but No problem, man. Exactly. So we got to use these really cool spells that we never really get to use and see how many things we can kill at once. Yep. That was cool. I mean, the last time we had a combat uh, scenario that big was probably like back in the war clones. Like, what, there were a lot of war clones back then. There was not there, a, not four, quite that many, but like it was the, one of the bigger ones we yeah. did. Yeah, there's like three or four. per. Yeah, there was six of them. Well, what it made me think back Nine. to Nine is when we did um, one of the earliest larger combat scenarios that we did was the Kenku fight. There was eight of those things, and Kenku on their own are really not like, you know, wicked strong combatants or whatever. And so it's a funny thing because D&D and balance of D&D monsters is something that gets a lot of criticism uh, because it's not well balanced. It's not a it's not a system that you can mathematically say precisely what the challenge will be for X amount of characters. Some people, the way they play, you know, like the difficulty settings that are set out in the book, and like people just double that because that seems to be what's appropriate. There's people that go half of that. There's there's a lot of different ways that you can deal with it. But one of the one of the crazier mechanics that goes into that is who has more people on their team, like the multiplier for that makes a huge difference. So you can take a bunch of relatively weak enemies, which those blights were relatively weak. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a ton of hit points and they didn't do a lot of damage, but there was a shitload of them. If you guys wouldn't have had those area of effects spells, like those things probably would have killed you to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the skills they did have though. They can grapple you. They can hold you in one place Mm -hmm. and then they can just get swarmed. So it's pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, having it, like, take an action to break away from them and a lot of other pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if Melvin hadn't been able to... I mean, because there was a couple rounds where you blew up, like, nine of them at a time or five of them at a time. Well, there's a... I I think I spent a couple rounds just trying to figure out what we're up against. Like, how many hit points or whatever do these have? Mm -hmm. Then I was just like, Some of them received fisting at the sixth level. Yeah. Which we've never (laughs) fisted that hard before. They got a good, strong six-level fisting. Before that episode came out, I remember talking to a couple different people about it, and it, like that episode title made a lot of people uncomfortable. <laughs> what was the episode title? Uh, a sixth level fisting. <laughs> oh yes. Our listeners know what to expect of us by now. Uh, so yeah, so you guys had um, which, uh, by the way, I like really enjoy Victor's magnificent fist. Fuck yeah, mm-hmm. that is really come in handy. 
Yeah, so I think quite oh. a few occasions. That's a spell that I, I will admit that as a I don't think I'm a great DM by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I'm a better DM than I am player because I am the least imaginative player. I always play the straight brute. Well, so a previous game, this didn't include um, Roscoe, but Melvin and Kolvik and I played in a, a game that a friend of ours ran a while back and you guys saw the character I played. I played the monk. What did I do? Every single turn in combat. Well, I'll punch them. Punch, punch, punch. Uh, it seems like they're pretty tough. I'm going to use my abilities to punch them more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that character did, and that's exactly what I built it to do. Um, we ran a one-shot at another point that I played with some other folks, and I did the Warlock. The Warlock is the same thing. You just, you just do Eldritch Blast over and over and over again. And you can modify it so you're like more long-range, or you can do it more times, or there's other effects. But, I don't know, that's kind of the way that I play video games too, man. Like, I'm just a fucking button masher. Like, I'm there for the story and, like, some tactical combat stuff, but I'm not, like, good at it. I don't know, maybe that's why I'm not that great of a TM. <laughs> I can't think of the better ways to do shit, but... No, I... Your creativity is, I think, better expressed than DMing than it is playing your characters. I mean, yeah. you just spent most of tonight collecting books and putting it in your library in Skyrim. Like. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Which is exactly what I did the last time I played. All books are just they have spell books are the expensive ones? Uh, all of them. I, I just, every time, well, it's, I can't say every time because I've only played Skyrim. This is my second playthrough. It's only twice, but yeah, man, like I just collect all the books and I've got this stupid thing in my head that I'm like, one of these days I'm going to sit down and read them all. <laughs> like, that's not going to fucking happen. Are you kidding me? That would take days, but I still dream. But I, I think I take it as a challenge to like find a way to resolve combat in in different ways. Like nobody wants to hear somebody just like, all right, well, I guess we'll just stab them. Yeah. We'll That's the cool again. thing about this group. It has to be kind of creative just because, like, as much as I want to feel like I'll just go ahead and be tank guy, these guys are getting too big to do that. I just can't go up and just, like, I'll get hit, and I'll one of these times I will just get knocked down and die. And then where do we go from there kind of thing. So that's what I really like about this dynamic. It's, it's a little diverse from what we've done before, even though, like you said, this is my only second time playing. So, Well, and a cool thing, I think that I think we did well so far as all these things go is back in, oh man, I can't remember the exact episode. It's somewhere around nine or 10 or somewhere in that, in that neighborhood. You guys were level five, I want to say. And I, I put you up against a, a dragon mm -hmm. and it was sort of like a stunted mentally dragon, you might say, cause it was like a, um, a, an undead dragon, but a young one essentially. So it had limited tactical choices it was going to make. So it wasn't that, necessarily challenging but that thing was gonna fucking kill you guys um or there was a very strong chance that it would have and what did you do you fucking cut off its head with the portable hole and didn't um, people complain about that you can't yeah, do yeah. that no -uh. the dragon would have been smarter than that well go fuck yourself yeah <laughs> i mean if anything it to more to that what we saw with mike is the dragon probably would have been strong enough to pull his head back out of that before it like cut it off Maybe. I mean, yeah, that's actually a good point. I didn't think about it in that. Like, you can't really just fold it off. It'd be just be like, 
trapping his head maybe for a second or so, but... Well, let's restart from that point. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> no, I'm happy how that turned out. Redo the podcast. We kill the dragon by chopping his head off. But, you know, the, the you guys coming up with more interesting solutions than just hack and slash, and then, I don't know, my role in that is really just saying I'll allow it, and I think it makes for not only a better podcast and better listening, but I think a better game. Yeah. I think we can do more of it. Lots more. We could double the amount of... I, I think in the beginning, like, we kind of lost sight of this, but I didn't you have, like, a... You gave us some more leeway for like a cinematic. Yes. Yeah, we haven't you taken know, advantage of that really. Yeah, right. you can. You if you're doing something, I don't remember exactly how I phrased the rule, but basically, if you're gonna do something cool, it usually involves some sort of skill check to make sure you can do it. But I gave you guys the option; you could invoke the cinematic law and get advantage on those rolls. So if you're like, I'm gonna run up the stairs and kick off the banister and swing across the chandelier, and then fucking put my boot in his eye or whatever like you know and i'd be like well that's gonna take an athletics check but i want advantage (laughs) like you guys can do that anytime you want i think that's one of the things and you know i don't want to get into like a full-on like table talk kind of discussion there's more than enough other podcasts out there that can do that for you but i think that's one of the things that fifth edition really does well or really encourages is that sort of play that sort of like imagination and friendship and whatever else like trumps all you know fourth edition specifically is very very rule heavy it's very tactical and there's like different types of damage and saves versus different damage and it's not just one armor class you know it's there's a lot of different things that go into that no i haven't heard a lot of people playing fourth edition i hear a lot of 3.5 i Mm -hmm. hear a lot of fifth well and people that broke off and did pathfinder after the three five split and everything or people that just went straight up like to fate and things like that, mm-hmm. different game systems. Um, and again, that's all a discussion for a different thing. But I think that's I think that we're playing it close to the way that the designers intended in a lot of ways because we do weird different stuff because we can, because we're not like rolling dice to measure gravity, you know, like we're not getting down to that scientific level. Cause if that's the level of simulation that you want to play, then video games are better for that. Mm-hmm. We're living in the world of imagination. All right, so to, to kind of roll up the, um, the recap part of this, you guys had found, after destroying all of these blights, uh, you heard a little noise, and then a little dude ran towards you, and you ran into um, Henry, the awakened stick of average intelligence. This came from another one of the games that, I, that I've DM'd, and I just, I just noticed this little, like, I won't say glitch in the rules, but I just thought this was one of the coolest and most interesting little tidbits or side notes is there's a spell that you can use to awaken inanimate objects. And like a lot of spells in D&D are like you cast the spell and you got to concentrate on it or like it, it runs out after a certain amount of time or there's like a timed or effect or something like that. But the way the spell is written, it's just like this thing just has consciousness now forever. And, like, unless it's killed, there's nothing in there that says, like, that consciousness runs out. I mean, it's not like a flesh and blood creature. And so what what happens in there and what's sort of implied is, like, what... You think about a really ancient world, and I think of the world of Meloto as ancient. Like, there's a lot of history that you guys have not touched with or dabbled or that I've even come up with yet. And you think about there being wizards for all of that time. Like, there'd just be a fuckload of just awakened fucking sticks and chairs and 
toilet brushes and what the fuck ever all over the place. Like, is there spells like the reverse of that? Like, to turn people into chairs and whatnot? <laughs> there's, you can make people like into stone and statues and shit. I don't know if there's a way to make somebody into a chair. A, the wish spell. I wish Melvin was a chair. <laughs> Imagine that. F you being a chair. Well, I mean, he's the one who can cast it, not us, so... Yeah. Imagine us being a chair. He could cast it on himself. <sighs> Just end it all. You guys look Time like you. Yeah. Time to go. Rest. <laughs> <laughs> I need a vacation, guys. I wish yeah. to go to Flavortown. <laughs> <laughs> one last trip to Flavortown. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that whole adventure and, and really everything that went off of that was just me and my fascination with that idea. I just think that's... Mm-hmm. And there's there's like... There's a bunch of other stuff that's written for that that honestly we'll probably never even see in the podcast. Or at least not anytime soon. But just think about that. I mean, think about like thousands of wizards over the years creating these things and then eventually dying because, I mean, unless you turn yourself into a lich or whatever, you're you're mortal. Mm-hmm. What the fuck would happen with all these things? Yeah. So who did we meet? So we met Henry. Henry, the awakened stick of average intelligence. Average might be optimistic. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't real. No. He wasn't the sharpest stick in the barrel. Yeah. I was kind of telling you, though, I actually really enjoyed, like, the second listening of that, just because when I was listening to it, it all of a sudden went to, like, a token Lord of the Rings feel to more of a Jim Henson Dark Crystal, just how you were describing (laughs) it. He had little hands like Mickey Mouse and eyes, like, googly eyes. I'm like, what is this go? I was trying to imagine this in like our world now. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Reminded me a lot of when uh, South Park went to Imagination Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Council of Nine. That Imagination Land. Imagine it. Like Jesus Christ and Santa and Aslan. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Bring Santa back. We need Santa for this. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what made me laugh when you were talking about why we were heading there. You needed to destroy Perryland. <laughs> and I was thinking of that. We have to nuke our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, suddenly I turn into like the evil person who's trying to snuff out like imagination and creativity. I'm oh, there's, there's friendly woodland creatures here that need to die. Oh, yes. I'm going to start a secret other podcast of other people like trying to track you guys down and kill you. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I would. But I, I did like the contrast of, again, Melvin and Kolvik doing this of, like, who they trust, what instincts are going by. Because I always feel there's kind of a back and forth of just kind of the direction of things need to head. I trusted this stick a lot <laughs> just because maybe it was <laughs> as smart as I was. and <laughs> I really trust this stick. I did, yeah. I, I wonder. I have a good feeling, guys. If you could set up uh, like a D and D podcast, like in Imagination Land, like you wouldn't want to be a direct rip off of uh, that South Park episode, but do something similar, and like have like characters from all these different pop culture things. I don't think you could do a podcast out of that because you'd get the shit suit out of you. Yeah, some fucking podcast just had a a record distribution label sue them for six million dollars uh, within the last like two weeks because they used all these music samples. They're like a a re- music review show so even though it's like free publicity and all the rest for them like they just decided to make an example out of this podcast they're suing them for six million dollars it's like like us it's just a group of people 
Well, as long as they follow, like, the fair use rules, they should be all right. They, were they sitting there playing whole songs or what? I don't think they were doing whole songs, but they mu- and now that I think about it, they must have been. Because that's the only justification they would have for doing that. Because there's precedent about fair use. It would be super hard to win a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Well, and commentary and satire and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't want to prolong, prolong all this out too much longer. We've got... Uh, I'll be releasing another episode at the same time as this one, so... People want to get to that, I'm sure, but uh, go around the table here. Let's start with Roscoe. Any other, any other thoughts about the last twenty episodes, the the podcast in general, life? Nope. We're going strong. We're enjoying it. Rock on. <laughs> Keeping adventuring. <laughs> Fucking sweet, Melvin. Um, no, I think I'm looking forward to it. We've kind of pulled up our anchor from Andon, and now we have a bunch more crazy shit like animated sticks of average intelligence and stuff like that that we're going to run into so I think there's going to be a lot more variety than your typical hometown political stuff that we've been dealing with in the past so looking forward to it can you animate objects? I don't know, can I? what what spell were you talking about earlier? I think this spell is just called awaken what would you like me to awaken? sex toys (laughs) for what purpose? No purpose. I don't think I could morally awaken a sex toy for you to use. Like, no. <laughs> I would I'd like you to morally, like, I don't think morally awake a butt plug. <laughs> don't do it. Not again. <laughs> no. 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 Please. No. 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 <laughs> there's no purpose behind it. Just. Like every town we go to, all of a sudden there's a bunch of dildos running around. (laughs) (laughs) They can stay in the town. They're part of the town now. (laughs) These are for the town. (laughs) The dildos can vote. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Dildo rights. Dildo rights. Dildo rights. More in the front, less in the back. (laughs) Hear a shout. Don't come back. So, uh, and so like... The spell specifically, I'm just going to read this whole thing out. After spending the casting temp, the spell is called Awaken. It's a fifth level transmutation spell. After spending the casting time tracing magical pathways within a precious gemstone, you touch a huge or smaller beast or plant. The The target must have either no intelligence score or an intelligence of three or less. Target gains an intelligence of ten. Target also gains the ability to speak one language you know. If the target is a plant, it gains the ability to move its limbs, roots, vines, creepers, and so forth. And it gains senses similar to a human's. Your DM chooses statistics appropriate for the awakened plant, such as the statistics for the awakened shrub or the awakened tree. The awakened beast or plant is charmed by you for 30 days or until you or your companions do anything harmful to it. When the condition ends, the awakened creature chooses whether to remain friendly to you based on how you treated it while it was charmed. But you'll notice nothing in there says anything about lifespan or anything else. I mean, it, this specific spell talks about there being um, it being a, a plant or a beast. But then, like, think about like you know a stick. It's formerly a plant, but it's not like a, a live plant at that point anymore. But it could still be awakened, arguably based on the rules that are here. I think there's even another spell, too, somewhere that, that does a similar effect. I mean, does it... I don't know. Also, there's... Again, I, I bring it up a lot, but there's the wish spell. I wish this dildo was alive. <laughs> like, 
know, <laughs> and evil. <laughs> There's your problem. This dildo set to evil. <laughs> that's that's a thing you could do. Um, I mean, like if you awakened a plant, I would just assume that it inherited the lifespan of whatever plant it was. But like a stick, like doesn't have. A lifespan it's always going to be a stick so i mean i guess until it just like what if it's a hardwood or a softwood yeah i need to ask i guess until it decomposes and then what if melvin turned himself into stone and then somebody came along and awakened him would he become immortal possible man that's like kind of the thing is like it's a world of magic you're you've already transcended the laws of you know physics and rational logical etc anything's possible Anything go. Anything go. I mean, the, the, I don't know. It's it, That's kind of just the summary right there. There's no other thing to elaborate on. It's fucking magic. Whatever you can think of is possible in some way. The creativity of where this is going is just awesome. And I think adding all the stuff you're adding in as a DM with future episodes is really cool. The interjections, what's happening on other parts of the world. And things oh, yeah. like that. You guys haven't heard that yet. Nope, not yet. And that's what's really cool about that. It's just different things that are being put into here that we kind of have to problem solve and decide whether we really want to go along with it. Because mm -hmm. as a DM, you're like, what if they don't like this and they decide to just backtrack this whole thing I've been working two days on? Meh. It's very so. possible. Mm -hmm. Every time. Sweet. Magic beans. Magic beans. Well, and that's it for the summary recap of the last uh, 1920 episodes or so. We'll do this again in episode 81, just so there's a jumping in point for new listeners. And it's because a lot of stuff happens in between. And we kind of need to sum up for both us and you, our listeners. So thanks for listening. Check out the website, thevgat.com, T-H-E-V-G-A-T.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us in Google Play, Stitcher, Castro. Yada yada, all the other places you can find podcasts. Uh, we are very grateful to our Patreon supporters. We're very grateful to our Kofi supporters and those that are leaving us ratings and reviews in iTunes. If you like the show, you could do one of those things, but you don't have to. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you back here in episode 62. <laughs>